Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. We're tired of we our kids. <laughs> we said we needed to do vocal warm-ups, so that's what I'm doing. I'm getting my voice to sit up. in solemn silence. A dull, dark dot. I know that our theater professor is listening. Uh, that's true. <laughs> um, I, I forget which one I brought up, but Magnolia got really into me saying stuff over and over again, so I started doing one of those. Oh. It wasn't, it wasn't the one about chopping your head off, because I think that would have been probably... <laughs> that would have been traumatic. Uh, yeah. Um, but I, I did one of those, and she just cackled she thought it was so funny and i was like now i've really put myself in a bind i have to (laughs) say i have to say this this (laughs) all day long faster and faster and faster and faster until i can't say it anymore and then we'll start over and she was just like mommy it's so funny (laughs) so toddlers they're fun (laughs) they are fun but we we have released our first episode now i know so (laughs) we are talking to real listeners we've heard from a few of you yes we are talking to at least 88 plays uh, oh, okay. Uh, should I just say how many subscribers we have? Go uh, ahead. I don't 20 know. subscribers as, on Apple Podcasts. That doesn't oh, okay. include like Spotify and others. It's just on Apple. I know we have at least 20 subscribers and we got at least 88 plays, but that doesn't include Pretty any cool. other. Yeah. So like we said, Ooh, we'll get like a solid 10 people who listen to this. Doubled it. All right. We're good. Like, we at least doubled how many people were going to listen. When you have low expectations, <laughs> you are going to be happy. <laughs> so now we can at least acknowledge that someone out there is listening to yes. us. Yes. So this week, uh, Stephanie chose the book that I had to read. This week's book is Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade, mm-hmm. a book that I really love that mm-hmm. I suspected Hannah would hate, which I will confirm or... <laughs> Do you want to predict? I think... That this book is not your style, and therefore you will not really enjoy it, but you will see the value in things that it has to offer, and therefore give it a two or maybe three stars. Okay. I will tell you how right you are after you give us the synopsis of the book. Okay. (laughs) Marcus Castor-Rupp has a secret. While the world knows him as Aeneas, the star of the biggest show on TV, God, Gods of the Gates, he's known to fan fiction readers as Book Aeneas Would Never, an anonymous and popular poster. Marcus is able to get out his own frustrations with his character through his stories, especially the ones that feature the internet's favorite couple to ship, Aeneas and Lavinia. But if anyone ever found out about his online persona, he'd be fired. Immediately. April Whittier has secrets of her own. A hardcore Lavinia fan, she's hidden her fan fiction and cosplay hobby from her real life for years, but not anymore. When she decides to post her latest Lavinia creation on Twitter, her photo goes viral. Trolls and supporters alike are commenting on her plus-size take, but when Marcus, 
one half of her OTP, sees her pick and asks her out on a date to spite her critics, she realizes life is really stranger than fan fiction. Tell me what OTP means. I still don't know, and I read this whole book. <laughs> one true pairing. Oh. Like a couple that belongs together no matter what. Oh, one true pairing. Okay. I didn't... Okay. I did not know that going into okay. this either. That's I, fine. I also learned things. I also don't book. know what AO3 means. What does that mean? Do you know? I might have known at the time I was reading this book, but I don't There think... were many acronyms in this book I did not know, which is more of a statement about me than the author because this happens frequently with both my students and my husband. They say things and I don't know what they mean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, if I knew what AO3 meant at the time I was reading this book, I have forgotten it. Yeah, that's okay. Um, so you are... Pretty much right on the nose with your prediction. Okay. I gave it two stars. I didn't hate it as much as the last one. Good. But it wasn't, definitely wasn't my vibe. Um, but before I get into why, I feel the need to share with you and the world how I rate books. Tell me how you rate so, books. So there's five stars, right? And I'm a teacher, so it very much aligns to like A, B, C, D. F. Yes. I was going to say, is there like a, what is it called? Where it's like, if you get this many right... A like a rubric? Sheet. Yeah, a, a rubric. rubric. Yes. Tell me your rubric. Well, <laughs> well, it's not that official. But I did have a principal um, that I taught under for two years in Georgia, and he would give our parents what we called the wonky pancake speech. Wonky pancake. About what A's mean, what B's mean, what C's mean, right? And so I adapted it. So this is my wonky pancake star rating breakdown. Okay. Okay. So like, say you walk into a diner and you really want some pancakes. A one star review would be you get a lump, lumpy misshapen thing that you are skeptical of from the beginning. And when you take a bite, you realize it was made with the wrong ingredients. Maybe the milk was sour. Maybe there's more salt than sugar. And it disgusts you. And you're not going to recommend that plate nor the diner to anybody. That's one star. Okay. Let's say you get a stack of pancakes. It looks it looks okay. And you take a few bites and it's fine, but then you find a hair between two of the pancakes. That's a that's a two star. So it's like it was okay, but there's that one thing where you're like, yeah, yeah. nope. Probably not going to recommend that either. Three star would be for me like a nice, well-made stack of pancakes, nothing wrong with it, but they bring you no syrup. <laughs> so it's like very bland, you know. You might recommend it to somebody if you remember to. This, like, exactly meets my lowest expectations. Yeah, yeah this, is, this is technically the thing I ordered, and it is not deplorable in any way. But it's also not, in, I don't know, as enjoyable as it could be. Four stars is that nice stack of pancakes with a nice serving of syrup and butter with it. It's great. Five star would be all the fixins, is what I call it, like... <laughs> Fruit, whipped cream, whatever. I am going to eat these pancakes until I literally throw up. So you have <laughs> vomiting at both ends of this scale. And I'm going to recommend this diner and this dish to everybody. So, Okay, I love that. And I'm going to adopt that okay. because my rating scale has been based off of my feelings about whether or not I can hurt someone by rating a book that low. <laughs> oh. So I rated Never Let Me Go a three stars just because that's as low as I'm willing to go in public. But what would it be really? A two. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. yeah, that's not awful, but like... Yeah, you're not going to recommend it. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, so this is my new scale okay. that we're doing. This is our 
Wonky pancake rating scale. I yes, I need to not bring my feelings and my per- my perception of other people's feelings into my sure. ratings. I will not meet these authors, and if I do, I will say <laughs> I'm so sorry. But I you know, gave your book one star. That's okay. Um, so yeah, this book's a two star for me. There were some things I enjoyed about it. There were some things I did not enjoy about it, and then some things that were just not memorable. So I guess I've, we've been kind of starting with like the writing. Yeah. The writing was, like, fine. It was serviceable. It wasn't, like, glaringly bad. I think the biggest problem is that it was just very repetitive. And I will say off the, like, at the beginning here, too, for anybody listening, this is a rated M for mature book. Um, it has, <laughs> they do the sex sometimes. It has many sex scenes. And, you know, you always run over. We talked about this before the podcast. You always run into these people that are like, oh, I read those books, but I always skip those scenes. If you say that about this book, I don't believe you. You read four pages. Yeah, of I don't book. believe you. I mean, there, there's a lot more to it than just the sex scenes, but um, they are multiple and lengthy. And because <laughs> of that, they felt repetitive. I mean, it was just kind of like. Just boring writing to me. Like, I was tired of hearing about how golden Marcus's skin was and how chiseled his jaw was. And, oh, we did not talk about... The F word. Yeah, the F word. Okay, I'll I'll talk about the F word. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Okay, so this is a romance novel with a plus-sized MC, main character. Since Thank we're you. using acronyms. Thank you. And the character... And the author who wrote this character both self-identify as fat. And for them and for Hannah and I, this word is not derogatory. It is just an explanation of someone's appearance. Hannah has red hair. I have brown hair and currently a little bit of blue hair. Yes. Some people are fat and some people are tall. We are going to use that word and it is not meant to be self-deprecating or derogatory towards others. The author intentionally uses this word to describe herself and her characters, and that's how the character describes herself. So it's naturally going to come up throughout our conversation, and we just wanted everyone to know, like, we are not using that as an insult. No. In fact, April, the main character, um, says to another character that fat is not a pejorative. Yes. And that is the stance we are taking during this episode as well. Yeah, so Marcus is golden and chiseled, and April is fat. But, like... how many times do you have to tell me she's round and yeah. soft? <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, the hair is so golden. The girl her, is so Her red hair, yes, yes. Her red hair is emphasized over and over. There were a couple times that Dade used some words to describe her body. And I and I realized, you know, she, you know, fat is not a pejorative. But she used some words that I was like, I don't know. I don't know that I loved that. <laughs> Flank was one. I distinctly remember that okay. because I also went, hmm. Flank. The like other... an, an like I thought of my dog. Yeah. Like... And, and the other one was bulwark. What? I don't, I, I don't fancy being compared to a bulwark. I don't know. I, I don't remember that one specifically, uh. but I do remember this feeling of, I understand you're trying to describe a fat body. Yeah. And that's fine. Choose tastier words yes. than flank and bulwark. And, um, there was one particular, and she describes Marcus, the the main guy, you know, at length, ad nauseum for me. Cause, and I think that's probably pretty common yeah. in a romance novel. Many chiseled abs. Yes. So many chiseled, or chiseled jaws. jaws or, <laughs> yeah, there was one um, description that's the only thing I wrote down directly from the book that I just had to share. His lush... Sandy blonde hair, just starting to silver at the temples, set off his cloudy blue eyes like, well, 
like a television star's hair, should set off his eyes. <laughs> I was like, well, okay. You just couldn't come up with another analogy. I kind of like it, though. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Tell me why. Oh, well, now I'm on the spot. Do you think it's cheeky? Like, yeah. Do you think she's being sassy? Yeah. Okay. And I think that I write like that a little bit. Like, okay. Yeah, put your own voice into it a little bit. Yes. I like stuff like that because, to me, that's voicey. And perhaps, so I will also share, much like Razor Blade Tears, I started with the audiobook. Okay. And then I switched to reading on paper just because I was home and, yeah. Maybe if I had been reading it on the page, it might have come across differently. But I... I often do not like how narrators do romance. Oh, it, really? Like, okay. Okay, so... You read the words on the page in your own voice and tone a little bit. Yes. And those cheeky remarks in my head come off as sassy and sexy and with a just a hint of dryness, the way that I think I would say them. Right, right. When the narrator says that, I'm like, that was the dumbest thing. Like, it often sounds way cheesier in someone else's voice and I appreciate what they are doing and they're trying their best but yeah a lot of the like quippy remarks in any kind of book to me sure yeah even like Stormlight um the Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive books yeah read all those yeah surely you know what character I'm talking about but she has red hair too Shalon Shalon if I read on the page her quippy remarks I can make them funny right the narr- I don't like hearing them out of someone else's face. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's so a good point. I totally understand what you're saying. I, th- I think it might have been the vehicle to which it was yes. getting into your brain. Um, so, yeah, that's really all I have to say about the writing. Okay. It just was kind of, like, boring, but it wasn't egregious or anything. Sure. Um, <clears throat> the characters, I, I wrote down that I found them as forgettable as I did unbelievable. <laughs> um, <laughs> April was, like, she had some cool moments. She's a cool girl. Like, she is cool with herself. Like, I felt like it was clear at the beginning of this book she's done a lot of... Help me out with the word. She has, like, gone through therapy or she... Self-healing is what I was going to say. Yes. She's done some self-healing. She's gone on this journey to, like, self-accept, acceptance, whatever. And so she's kind of starting in a pretty good place. Yeah. Uh, So she's got some cool girl confident vibes going. Um, she's a geologist, which I was really excited about at the beginning and then kind of, but petered, then it mostly doesn't it kind bring of petered it. away. Um, so yeah, but Marcus, uh, what do I say about Marcus? <laughs> he both had, he, he had too many issues <laughs> and he was too, he had too many issues, but at the same time was like too perfect. perfect. Yes. Too, like, I was like, this is somebody's like fantasy of a man not what an actual man is and i just don't buy it he was just like too sensitive and too in tune with what april you're gonna run into that in romance novels like (sighs) and i was just like okay you're kind of boring (laughs) the the fantasy man appears in most romance novels there's like a lot of stuff going on in this novel so we've already talked about the fact that um that april is fat and she is okay with her body and she has accepted that and Marcus is totally into her like from the beginning there's not any kind of I have to accept you even though you look no, like this no he is, he's totally he into on her it. but he's also a television star who is very recognizable and has paparazzi going after him and so like there's that whole dynamic of appearances but then underneath that all you've got this other conflict that I just didn't buy 
Okay. So Marcus is dyslexic mm-hmm. and has been hiding that from the world and like putting on this show to the media whenever he does interviews of like, I'm this dumb pretty boy um, because his parents are super academic. And, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. His parents are bad. Basically. We can talk about the bad parents in this book too later. Um, and I don't know. I'm, it just felt contrived, I think is the word I'm looking for. It felt like a contrived issue for him. And then April has this whole side of her she has to hide because apparently if you're a professional geologist, being a fangirl or writing fan fiction will discredit your reputation. Yeah. I didn't buy that either. (laughs) Um, It just felt, it just felt contrived uh, to give them something to like have to overcome. Yes, and I will say that a lot of romance novels are like that. Right. I would argue most. Okay. I I like a good romance novel, but I am really picky. I Okay. I'm really picky, and this is yeah. one of the better ones. Okay. So, um but yeah, it's really hard to find a reason why they're not just together from the beginning. Right. And especially in like if you're not doing historical romance where it's like Class class or something like that, where it's just, you could just have, like, a pretty frank conversation and just, you know, hash this out and then go on a date, you know, if if you wanted to. A lot of contemporary romance does feel contrived because it's like, if they just had a five-minute conversation, this would be done. And so, yes, I understand what you're saying. I found it to be more believable than some of the others I've come across. But I, yes, yeah. I also do not disagree with you entirely. I also don't think it was entirely needed. Like, so Marcus has been venting his frustration with the writers of his TV show by writing fan fiction mm-hmm. on the same server. Is that the right term? Maybe. In, within the same online community that April has been writing fan fiction. And he, of course, does this anonymously because he could lose his job because he's a famous actor under contract. And he does not reveal who he is to her. For, for a while. Spoiler alert. <laughs> that was bound to <laughs> So, like, I, that was enough, I think, of a... I don't think we needed this other layer of dyslexia versus she can't be the fangirl she wants to be, which she discards also pretty quickly because right at the beginning of the book, she gets another job. Yeah. With, like, a different geologist firm, I, I guess. Um, like... And you mentioned class structure in Victorian novels. Like, I think you could have just used that in this novel. He's, he's famous and he's, she's not. Yeah, he's a famous actor who paparazzi follows. She is... A geologist. Uh, yeah, so... I agree. I don't think that her job needed to be a thing. That's a personal issue. If you don't feel comfortable saying, I play D&D on the weekends and I, yeah. whatever, like, that's about you, I guess. And if other people are weird about it, just be like, hey, why can't I just like my stuff? Yeah, whatever. And, sh- and she literally, like, after chapter two starts a different job and tells her friends at that job, hey, I am into fan fiction. And they're like, cool, let me help you make a costume. So it's like... Yeah, so that I don't think needed to be an issue at all because that's just solely about you. I think it was a thing so that the author could use lots of gold and fool's gold metaphors. I did not love the rock (laughs) metaphor. I did not love the geology. I mean, it was kind of nerdy and like... It's cute. That's also part of her thing. She's kind of, she's nerdy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and it just kind of felt formulaic too. like hit Marcus has a friend, Alex, who mm-hmm. I kind of felt bad for every time he came up. Cause it just felt like he was just there to like, 
I don't know, present something plot-wise to help the other two along or to show one of them something about each other. Like, he gets in trouble with his job and that shows April what was at stake for Marcus and makes her change her mind. And I'm like, oh, well, he just had to go through all that just so she could realize this? Like, you know. Yeah. Um, and that might be a romance thing, too, where all the extra characters just kind of get... Um, use, use the word formulaic. Romance novels are incredibly formulaic. Oh, yeah. I could tell that from the first two chapters, because chapter one is, like, Marcus at his job, doing his job. And then chapter two is April at her job, doing her job. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Which, there's some comfort in that. Like, we're going to get to that. Yeah. Um, not super interesting for me, but, oh, okay. Here's another thing. The way they get together is just so unrealistic to me. The, f- like... The Twitter date. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... Do you want to explain it? Okay, so, yeah, she tweets her uh, cosplay mm-hmm. costume that she made um, for the character Lavinia, who's on the show that Marcus is on. And some people love it, and other people are like, she is fat. We will be derogatory. We are trolls. Yeah, and, they're pretty bad. Yeah, and Marcus shows up on his, like, verified Twitter account and is like, I like it, so you can all shut up. And says... Not only do I like it, asks her out on a date on public Twitter. Yeah, and then, like, slides into her DMs, and they Mm -hmm. actually go on the date. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was just, like... I was just, like, eye-rolling. I was like, that's never gonna happen! (laughs) I mean, maybe it did in real life. I don't know. I don't know. I... It's very win a date with Tad Hamilton, which, like... I've never seen that. I know you haven't uh, seen sorry. that. <laughs> Other people will know what I'm talking about. So, like, it gets to my nostalgia that that would happen. Oh, yeah. But, like, if that really today people would be like, I don't know that you're not a serial killer. No, I'm not going on a date with you. Yeah. Like, the world is too cautious now, probably. I, this whole book, well, most of the book, I kept thinking, where is Marcus's publicist? I feel like they would be policing him at some point. I feel like his publicist would have either had the idea for the date or shot down the idea for the date and then orchestrated or shut down the date itself. Well, and then there are more dates, and then when they get together and they are basically having, like, a reclusive sexcation in her apartment (laughs) because paparazzi is, like, he's hemming and hawing about what project he's going to do next. I'm like, where is the publicist that I know would be breathing down his neck? (laughs) So, yeah, and you mentioned, like, earlier, the miscommunications. Like, mm-hmm. oh, no. Yeah, that was, that's annoying to me. I'm a pretty straight talker. So whenever I have, in any book, whenever I have two characters that I'm just like, oh, just say the thing. Yeah. It bugs me. And for me, romance novels are basically. That's what that's they are. That's the whole thing. That's what they are. <laughs> Not all of them are like that. Yeah. Um, but I identified with this book, too, the moment I would have been like, I'm done. <laughs> and it and it was when they had gone on a couple dates. It had gone really well. He really wants to see her again, but he's leaving town soon, like tomorrow soon. So he's like, hey, I'm going to go to the gym and work out tomorrow morning if you want to come with me. And she immediately shuts him down. It's like, nope, because he mentioned working out, which... That is a loaded thing for her because people have passive-aggressively mentioned that to her. Like, suggest that she exercise. But he's not... He just, like, wants to spend time with her. And so she shuts him down and, like, he gets real sad puppy dog eyes, but he leaves and doesn't bother her. And I'm just like, oh, you guys just need to talk about this. (laughs) Just tell him what... And that is... April was a pretty cool character, I think, for the most part. The thing about her that annoyed me was she never said... 
important things I felt like she needed to say to Marcus. Okay. Like, like with that, uh, I mean, and that's kind of, that's a sensitive topic. It was like their second date and he didn't realize what he did. He does later. But speaking of the bad parents, they go to her parents' house who she is kind of estranged from and she like has this whole plan in her head about what she's going to do and say and doesn't tell him about any of it. Yeah. Doesn't tell him what's going to happen, what she's planning on doing, doesn't give him a lot of backstory of her parents. So he's he has a whole plan in his head of what he's going to do to run interference between her, she and her dad. But it was exactly the opposite of what she wanted. Yeah. And so she gets upset. And I'm like, girl, if you're going to, I mean, I feel like anybody who takes their significant other to their parents' house, you give them some prep. <laughs> even if you're not estranged and even if your dad's not a complete fat-shaming jerk like her dad is. Yeah, you should say some things about the um, family. So that was weird. I was like, April. Yeah, the only other thing that really, like, bogged me down as I was reading would be, so in between the chapters, there were these little mm-hmm. scripts. Some of them were very useful, because they were DM conversations on the fan fiction server between April and Marcus before they knew each other yeah. in person uh, and other people. And that was that was cool uh, to build out their characters. But then between other chapters, there were just snippets of scripts for really bad movies that Marcus was in and had mentioned to somebody in the previous chapter. And that, like, didn't serve anything. It, and you're I like, why like, are you bringing this why up? Why is this? And they're like, I don't know if they were supposed to be funny because, I mean, he says they were bad movies. Yeah. <laughs> and they were. I think it was supposed scripts. to be, like, comedic relief. Just, like, listen to this relief. And I was just like, why am I, why am I reading this? So do you, did you like some things? I did. So I like, I really liked what I think probably resonated with you and why you picked it is that April... Is She does not look like your typical romance novel girl. And not only does she not look like it, but we've talked about this. She's nerdy. She is into fan fiction and is a scientist. And, you know, she's also pretty straightforward with how she talks. And um, so she is a different kind of female protagonist, which I, I definitely can appreciate. And that representation alone is enough to bump it a star. That was that was nice to read, even for some even I don't read a lot of romance, but I've read enough, you know, Jane Austen and things that I'm tired of wayfish women <laughs> fainting everywhere. So that was really nice. Um, she has a long post that she puts on her fan fiction server to her friends where she finally, like, kind of tells them how a lot of them have inadvertently hurt her by the way they write fat characters, mm-hmm. um, which I could really see the author, like, it was it was the most like veil dropping moment where it's like you can tell this is Olivia Dade like as a writer telling other writers, "Hey, so this is how you've hurt people like me." Yeah. And it was done I think in a loving way uh where she's like, "I know you most of the time this is unintentional." Yeah. But she also spells it out. This is the one time in the book that April's pretty like <laughs> t- says what she needs to say where she's like, "This is how you do this and so don't automatically write your characters who are fat to also be ugly or mean or villains or whatever lazy and greedy and yes um and i also appreciated that within that post she also says like i want to be accepted for me not in spite of my body which is 
what people tend to say, but she also says not because of my body. Yeah. Because that's something I've heard before too, where people are like, oh, well, I like big women or I, you, and I'm like, no, no, that's just the opposite side of the same problem. Yeah. You don't like, want to be fetishized or demonized. I want to just be accepted. Right. I, I don't I even use the words like body positivity, which is a big movement. I say oh, body okay. neutrality. Oh, okay. This is my earth vessel. It is my skin and bones that well, I live in. And if you think about it, nobody wants to be objectified yeah. for any reason. Yeah. I mean, you know, so... So body neutrality is really the goal for most people. So it's not about, like... Mm-hmm. I, being positive about your body is also fine. Right. But insisting that people be positive is also, like, thinking and focusing on your body. How does it look? How does it look? How does it look? What if we just stopped worrying so much about how it looks? Body neutrality, like... Mm-hmm. I often... And I haven't read as much about this as you, but I often want to, I tend to tell people or focus on like feeling good. Like, do you feel good in your skin? Do you feel, because I've had friends that were very thin too, that did not feel good in their skin, that felt self-conscious, you know, on both ends of the spectrum. It's like, do you feel good in your skin? I think is the, is my barometer. Yeah. Yeah. So I appreciated that book for doing that and for putting that out there. There were a lot of reviews on Goodreads that, You know, people were excited about it just for that reason and picked it up because of the cover. Because it clearly shows on the cover um, that this is the type of female we're dealing with. And so that was was nice and refreshing, even for somebody who has not spent time in the genre. Yeah. Um, And for a woman, you know, I I do not have those particular body struggles, but as a woman, I appreciated that. As a woman, you have been told what you should and should not be. Yes. And like, (sighs) yeah. So good job on that one, Olivia Dade. So, yeah. I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I'll start with the things specific to this book and then move outwards. Um, I really liked the Gods of the Gate fan fiction stuff that was an obvious reference to Game of Thrones. Yes! <laughs> I, I didn't know if you would bring that up or... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think I read this probably right at the end. Like, Game of Thrones had just ended. Okay. And so everyone was still, like, reeling from whether or not you had emotionally processed the end of Game of Thrones, which did you watch? I So I've never watched, nor have I read Game of Thrones. Okay, well, I did both. Um, uh, only, I mean, not intentionally. I think yeah. it was big when um, Brandon was in grad school and I was working. And, it's fine. You don't yeah. have to watch sorry. Game of Thrones. Sorry, world. You don't have to watch Game of Thrones. And so everyone was still like freaking out about Game of Thrones and how they trashed years of character development and I knew that was a thing. Yeah. Yes. And how they people were complaining about how they treated female characters and people were complaining about um not using the source material correctly which at some point he stopped writing so you can't but I loved that it was a very clear like wink. I I like easter eggs. I right. love a good easter egg. And I liked the wink at everybody. And it's like, if you didn't watch Game of Thrones and don't care about it, it doesn't take away from the book. But if you're in on the joke, you're in on the joke. And that just, like, heightens it. So do you think people that watch Game of Thrones would enjoy this book more? Probably more because you get you... I wondered that while I was reading. Yeah, you'll feel in on the joke. And that always makes it better. Um, And so it was fun that also, like, Kit Harington, I believe, who played Jon Snow in... Game of Thrones, has really subtly in interviews said but not said that he didn't like the writing of, like, in the way that actors will sometimes do, Mm -hmm. and that Marcus just goes off in fan fiction. In this this anonymous way, he's just like, 
I cannot handle how badly they're writing my character. They make it so dumb. They're totally messing up the story. And yeah. I just his I just online name is Book Aeneas would never. So you can tell like he's yeah he doesn't like the direction. Yeah, the show has taken his character, which happens a lot actually. And Henry Cavill just dropped out of The Witcher. Oh, on really? Netflix because he is so invested in the source material that they are not sticking to that he quit and um, he's going to be replaced by one of the Hemsworths, Liam Hemsworth. One of one of those yeah. pretty boys. Yeah. Um, so like this is an actual like people who wow. love fantasy and are invested in their fantasy characters. Yeah. This is a thing for them. Well, that's why I quit watching The Magicians. Oh yeah, that did one. not follow the source because material. we both that's a that's a book series. Stephanie and I both love. We both love. Yes. Uh, but after the first season, I was it like, was I'm tough. Out. And I had a friend I taught with, and he kept watching it, but he hadn't read the books. So he would come to school and report to me like, "Hey, so this happened. Tell me how off this is." And I'm like, "So off." Okay, let me tell you. <laughs> so incredibly off. But it was a fun. It was our yeah. lunchtime conversation for a while. Okay, so. That's what I loved was the wink at Game yeah, of Thrones. That's nice. I also loved the wink at fan fiction, which is notoriously right. undervalued and what's the right word? People think it's dumb. It's it's talked down to, maybe yeah. condescended to yes, a lot. Yes, it is condescended mm-hmm. to a lot. And so many of New York Times best-selling romance novels are born out of fan fiction. Oh, yes. That doesn't mean that you will necessarily like them. Sure. But some of the ones that I really love came out of fan fiction. I want to be clear that this does not include Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Just in case anyone was like, I know one. No. That's the one everybody knows. No. Which, you know, love it or hate it, it was successful. It was successful. So... I just want to point out yeah, I've that's never... not one of the ones I'm referencing. Right. Gotcha. Um, no, as a writing teacher, too, like, it is, it is legitimate. I have had students from 6th grade to 12th grade, like, want me to read their fan fiction, want me to check out their Wattpad. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> their Wattpad account. Um, and, you know, it, any kind of writing is, you know, it's that helping. you're practicing, it's helping them in what I'm trying to teach them. So it it's legitimate. And yes. it's very communal. Um, yes. And so many writers, especially romance writers, but other writers too, start there. And it is a legitimate practice and it, it gets really condescended to. And I liked this. I'm not part of that world. I've never been part of that world, but I liked this look into the window of, oh, this is how the fan fiction community operates. I need to not condescend to it. This is actually pretty cool. And I liked learning about that and understanding better what it was and the skill that goes into it and the community building that Mm -hmm. goes into it and all of that. And I think part of why it gets a bad rap is because there is a lot of fan fiction out there that's very um, X-rated. Yes. But that is not, I think that's a misconception that that's all fan fiction is. It really is That is certainly out there. It's not hard to find. But when I say like, I had sixth graders writing fan fiction. They, they weren't. Were, they were not on those kind of sites. They were not reading pre Fifty Shades of Grey. They were, you know, just imagining themselves within the world of Harry Potter. Yeah. And it was, you know, because I had one boy that just on repeat read those books over and over, and I finally said to him, "How about you write your own version?" And he did, and that's it was great. great. That's great. And yeah, that's that's what fan fiction does. Yeah, and I love that you brought up Harry Potter, and I was going to bring that up too. Lots of Harry Potter fans have had problems with authorial intent because J.K. Rowling has been really problematic in recent years. And how do you experience a, a world that you've 
come to know and love right, and right. you want to still be part of while ignoring authorial intent, mm-hmm. you write it yourself. Exactly. And this is exactly what Aeneas, or not Aeneas, Marcus, is doing in... He's ignoring the authorial intent of his script writers. Right. And people who write Harry Potter fan fiction often, well, always, I guess, ignore the authorial intent of J.K. Rowling. And so it's a way of turning um, fandoms into yours instead of theirs. Yeah, and that's ownership. What I, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I think fandoms are supposed to be. It's It might start with one person and their, their mm-hmm. brainchild and their idea. But fandoms belong to the fans. They belong to us. Right. And taking it into your own hands and making it yours, I think, is a really beautiful way to engage with stories. And so I really liked that peek into the world. And I don't know. I'm not an author. Um, but I would think as an author, that is a compliment to oh, have I would your think work so. turned into a fandom. I mean, I know there's like releasing your baby into the world, and but, like, it's not yours anymore. And when your fans take it and make it their own because they care about it, they yeah. care about the world you've created. Because um, I think that's what authors really are. They're world builders. Yeah, yeah, I would think that even if you didn't like the direction they took it in, it would be an honor that they invested enough in it to have done that. Right. If, if anyone ever did that with my book, I might be like, I don't like that choice, but I love that you went and made the choice. And you know? they're engaging yeah. with your I think it would be... Work awesome mm-hmm. kind of no matter what yeah i obviously loved the fat representation and yes. i also loved the dyslexic representation okay so i identify as a mid-sized fat person um and my husband is dyslexic oh, and yes. he also has had the same trouble of reading physical books he mm-hmm. cannot read a physical book um and he listens to audiobooks and when we first met he quote unquote didn't read and I obviously love reading. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that was one of those things. I was like, what do you mean you don't read? And I couldn't get it. And, and like now Kyle reads more books than I do. He mm-hmm. just has to listen to them. Lots of people will say that audiobooks, quote unquote, don't count. And that's not true. Oh, that's, no. That's I, incredibly ableist to say that audiobooks don't I, count. And I will say, I didn't like the dyslexia as a, like plot device but the representation I did like because I, I am a school teacher and so I have had I mean even this year had to convince students like no listening to a book is still reading and I and my students that struggle I often tell them to listen while they're looking at it and yeah. get multiple senses involved so if you are a struggling reader and you're listening to this <laughs> try that yeah um, and you can always slow it down speed it up yeah right and you can do what you've done on I, maybe all of our books so far is you yep. mix mix media it. I do. And lots of people do that. Um, so, yeah, I liked the look into how you can be a fan of books while yes. engaging with them in different ways and in non-traditional ways. And not just a fan of books, a writer. A writer. Because he is writing fan fiction. And he dictates it, yes, right? Yes, he talks about that, how he dictates. And you mentioned how that's not a sign of intelligence. Like, to this day, one of the smartest young women I have ever taught, her name was Dana, well, her name is Dana, so smart, man, Girl couldn't spell. <laughs> and she knew it, and we would chuckle about it. And I would just tell her, girl, you have spell check. Like, it is okay. Her ideas were creative and insightful and analytical. And I was like, that is, like, the least of your problems. But it's the same kind of thing with dyslexia, with dysgraphia, with any kind of, you know, processing People disorder. are told they cannot write and right. cannot read. And 
Marcus can write and can read、yes. and does them both well. He just has to do them non-traditionally, and I like. He's a deep thinker. Yes, and I liked that. For the most part, except kind of when engaging with their families who are、yeah. terrible.、Um, April is fat, and Marcus is dyslexic, and neither one of them has a problem with that about themselves. They understand that the world might view them differently, and so they might have to、um, be cautious about how they engage with the world. They don't have any like rose-tinted glasses about how the world operates around them because of these things, but they don't hate themselves for being that way. No, they do and not. And I liked that because so often, if fatness or if a learning disability or something is included, the the point is, and the character's main struggle is accepting themselves with this thing or overcoming this thing that is obviously so 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 terrible, and that is not what this book is. They just have these things. They are fine with themselves. They are fine with the things. They have found solutions to、mm-hmm. live their best lives. Yeah, I liked because、um, I mentioned earlier that April has clearly gone through a journey、yes. of self acceptance before the book starts, but Marcus has too. And I actually liked that you get the Dade gives you some backstory about how that worked because it was it's further along in the book, but it was really sad. Like the reason he put on this. Dumb pretty boy front for the media is at some interview, some news anchor just handed him something to read,、mm. like off the cuff, and he struggled through it, and so he just used that, and he found out later why that was. He talked to a friend, the friend I mentioned in the book earlier, Alex, and figured out ways around it. But like that was one thing I really wanted April's story too, with how, like, and it wasn't long, it wasn't dwelt on with Marcus, but it was a nice glimpse into how he got to where the book. Yeah. Where he was when the book started, I wanted that for April too. I suspect the author herself did not want to have to write it. Ah, well, that makes sense. Yes.、Um, my guess is because that is so often, if there's a fat character, what they do is grapple with the fact that they're fat, and I think she was、yeah. probably sick of that. I understand what you're saying. That makes sense. Her as a fat woman, she was probably like, "Bump that. We are not doing that." And you know, that's fine. Yeah, good for her. Um, one other thing that's pretty uncommon in romance novels—they were both older. They were yes, like, almost forty. Yeah, and it's romance novels are written like love is for the young. You have to be <laughs> if you're over twenty-three, like your time has passed. We haven't gotten past the Victorian like yeah, twenty-five. You're a spinster. <laughs> yes, it's like this book ha- takes place in twenty twenty-one, but you also have to be twenty-one years old in、right. order to find love. And there, it's not. There's no acknowledgement of it. It's not like, oh, we're so old, but maybe、no. we can still find the love、no. of our lives. I love that. It's just like a fact. Some people on Earth are older than 21. <laughs> they are also invited to participate in romance if they want. Yes. Like, I like that acknowledgement of different people, and it's not a bit. It's not played right, no, for it's not. plot. It's just there's、is. not even any jokes about no, it. No, really. It's just stated they are this old, and it's like,、yeah. oh, for real. Like, people are never this old in romance、mm-hmm. novels, so I like that. I found the reasons they were not together not entirely believable, but a lot more believable than in some other romance novels. Sure. And yes, romance is repetitive and it is formulaic, but I like that for what it is.、Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to get into why romance. Yeah, go ahead. It was the year of our Lord, twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good! Buckle up. 
Everyone was sad. <laughs> and shut in. The entire world was a dumpster, and oh. everything in it was on fire. Um, I have always been very skeptical of romance novels, because you know me, I do not like cheese. I, right. I am very dry and sarcastic. I don't like cheesy stuff. I get, like, cringy around love. Like, declarations of love make me a little uncomfortable. Romance does not seem like it would be my thing, and I have always heartily turned down anyone who suggested that I read one. I'm mostly into true crime podcasts and serial killer documentaries mm -hmm. and thrillers. I know this. But a couple months into 2020, <laughs> you can only hear about so much bad before you just have to stop. And I was like, if I hear about one more bad thing, I will just curl up into a ball and stop. So I couldn't listen to my podcasts. I couldn't listen to yeah. my thriller books. I couldn't, I couldn't pick up or watch or read any of the things I normally liked. And so I just like sat with my own thoughts for a while. Those were just as dark. <laughs> it was 2020. Things were bad. So in July of 2020, which was like the height of we've been coveting for a while and now people are mad about it and saying things, this was right after... George Floyd, and yeah. we're still dealing with Brianna, and... Not um, a good time. Yeah, like, and the height of the election stuff in the summer, it was July of 2020, and I was like, you know what I want? I want someone to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> this makes sense. I just want a happy ending for someone, even if it's not humanity. <laughs> yeah. And so I picked up Beach Read by oh. Emily Henry. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. It was predictable and it was formulaic, mm -hmm. but it was so peaceful and fine and the problems were little and easily overcome with a little bit of communication and there's a happily ever after. So that was my first romance novel and I was like, ah, oh, that was nice. I don't feel bad anymore. I, I fully, I get that. And yeah. I, I think, I think you will probably throughout the course of this podcast, find one that I like too. Yeah. Because I think you can do formulaic and predictable well. Yeah. I think the thing that threw this one off for me was probably the whole like TV star normal girl yeah. thing was like too out of my realm of yeah believability. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So what I like about romance is that it, it, they follow tropes. Yes. There's like there's only a couple the best friend trope. Yeah, the bad parent trope. Yeah, uh, enemies to lovers, friends to lovers, dating your best friend's sibling, uh, pretending to date, uh, and fake dating, fake engagement. Um, what's that? What's that trilogy? Jenny Han. To all the boys I've ever loved. Oh yeah, I have I have watched that. Yeah, I've heard really good things about that. I need to. I had so many students read it one year oh, for I a bet. project that I was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have time to read it, but I was like, I'll watch this on Netflix. Yeah, and so I love that. There's basically there's like 15 things you're picking from when you pick up a romance novel. It's one of these 15 things. There are only so many tropes. It has to be one of them, or it doesn't count as romance. Like, I but, I mean I think. Don't you think now that you've read more, there are some like refreshing voices within yes. those? Yes, yeah. and that's what that's what I like, right? Because I do consider myself a picky romance reader for the reasons mentioned before we got to twenty twenty. <laughs> um, it has to have that something extra for me, mm -hmm. and for me, this one did. Right. But I also identify with it a whole lot more. Right, and I read Game of Thrones. Like I had more 
that gave it the syrup for me. Yes. Oh, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so the ones that I like, that's that's why I like them. I do not like any old romance. I also like, I think the writing has to fall to a certain standard yes. for a romance to be good because you know the ending. How do you write a book that's engaging when the reader knows for a fact what the ending is before they pick it up? That's a good point. And to me as a thriller writer, the whole point is the ending. Right. The whole point is the twist at the end. Like The point you, of romance is the journey. The point of romance is the journey. They are longer. The word count for romance lo- novels is longer than thriller novels because the point is the journey. For okay. thrillers, the point is the end. And you can read some bad romance. I know that. I know that. But it does take a skill to say, hey, before you even pick this up, I have a guaranteed ending that you already know. Mm-hmm. Now read it for 400 pages. That takes skill. That's fair. And as a writer, I can appreciate that. Even if I didn't necessarily like it, I'm like, girl, you did it, though. And for me, this one did. Yes, yeah. there was some repetitive stuff. Sure. Yeah. I'm also going to address what I call, there's probably a better name for this. I called it the pumpkin spice pipeline. Okay. <laughs> Please <laughs> do explain. <laughs> I'm so excited. Okay. So there's a tendency in society to degrade things that appeal primarily to women. Oh, like okay. Like pumpkin spice lattes right. and Taylor Swift uh-huh. and romance novels. Right. Romance novels carry the publishing industry. Pumpkin spice lattes, you know why they're popular? They're friggin' delicious. Try one. <laughs> they really are. Sorry if I, like, fall in a cup. <laughs> like, <laughs> There's just a tendency to make these things lowbrow. Oh, you like that? Oh, you're ordering a pumpkin spice latte? It's oh, like, you're reading a romance novel? Like, sorry, I don't read Proust. Nobody reads Proust. I don't even read Proust, and yeah, I read Lawrenceburg, Ohio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think I think you'll find one I like. But the way you describe the comfort of it too, I think that's what I go to YA lit yeah, for. A lot of people um, do, yeah. So I, I identify with that feeling. I just go to a different genre. But YA is often a lot more predictable and, and more condensed and formulaic and so but yeah. Yeah. So I, I see what you're and saying. And I think romance just found me at the right time. You know, if I yeah. if I'd picked one up at a different time, I would have been like, it's just as stupid as I thought it was gonna be. But I needed it. Someday we should compare our COVID reading lists because <laughs> they were very different. Yeah. <laughs> and so I finally got into romance novels. I still don't read a ton of them, but I I read the ones that are most highly rated, and this mm-hmm. one was. Mm-hmm. And I got to this one, and it was my very first romance depicting a fat main character. Oh, your very first one. Very okay. first one. And... That meant a lot to me because I have struggled with my body image and body size my entire life. I grew up fat. I briefly went through a period of time where I was not, and now I'm back to being fat. And I, again, I do not mean that in a self-deprecating way. But you are the healthiest you've ever been. Oh yeah, I've known you for. Oh yeah, (laughs) I'm good. I'm fine. Um, I'm also physically the healthiest I've ever been, by the way, because fatness and health are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To me, this was just magic. I, I know that it probably did not ring the same way to you. No, but, but I knew why you picked this book. It was just magic. Mm-hmm. And 
I can say a lot of things about this, but I think I really just want to read from Olivia Dade's blog. Yes. So, I saw that referenced in a lot of Goodreads reviews. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, be- I'm going to splice this to get the most the points that I want to bring up, but we're also going to reference the whole thing in the show notes. So I'm... You can go back and read the full yeah, I'm entry taking, if you want. I'm taking pieces. One of the great joys of romance novels is their fundamental optimism. They reassure us that obstacles, everything from lingering childhood hurts to zombie apocalypses, can be overcome. That love can find us even under the most unlikely humdrum or harrowing circumstances. That happy endings are still possible, even in a very imperfect world filled with very imperfect people. As a kid growing up in in fraught family circumstances, I needed the reassurance that romance offered. Around that same age, I also became undeniably fat, which would have been hard enough because the world is not especially kind to fat kids, but I was also grappling with what it meant to have a father who considered fatness Mm -hmm. to be a source of shame and fat people unattractive, best hidden far away from the public eye. So there I was, a fat girl soon to grow into a fat woman, struggling to believe that I was still lovable in my bigger body. Despite being told that someday in my future I could be fat and wanted, I could be fat and adored, and I could be fat and have my own happy ending with someone far, far different from my father. And what genre could be better suited to offer that type of comfort than romance? Only it didn't, except for on very, very rare occasions. Mm -hmm. Fat people rarely showed up on those pages of the romances I read, and when they did, it wasn't often a pleasant reading experience. Mostly they served as side characters, often greedy or evil, generally lazy or figures of mockery. mockery. Sometimes comic relief, because who could take their humanity seriously or consider them believable objects of desire? Books did that. Had titles like Just Desserts or A Whole Lot of Woman, because fatness couldn't simply be incidental to the plot. No, it had to be a big deal, an obstacle to overcome or an issue to grapple with more important than any other aspect of the characters' lives. They couldn't simply fall in love like everyone else. In general, though, people with bodies like mine were simply absent. As if we lived in a world filled with only thin people, or as if happy endings were fundamentally incompatible with fatness, love might overcome any number of obstacles, but not fatness. When self-publishing began, marginalized authors of all sorts kicked open doors long shut to them and wrote their own romances, featuring people who looked and lived and loved like them. Representation is powerful, especially when stories that allow joy and love for marginalized people are still far too rare. Writing about people with fat bodies falling in love still feels revolutionary and revelatory to me each time. It feels like an affirmation of myself and my own self-worth. It also feels like long belated message to me as a child, sitting in my mother's closet, looking for myself in book after book after book. Seven years old, fat, lonely, already uncertain of my lovability, bound for a future of rapid weight loss and even more rapid weight gain, and an intimate familiarity with both the diet industry and disordered eating. I wish I could tunnel through time and space, hold my younger self, and tell her what she needed so badly to hear. That in time, she would be desired and loved. That there was nothing wrong with her. That someday she'd see herself in so many stories, including ones she wrote herself. I'd hand her a loaded e-reader and a towering stack of paperbacks, and I'd explain to her how seeing a version of herself loved on page would make it easier to love herself. That girl is gone forever. I can't reach her. But it is absolutely my intent and my privilege to write stories that would have changed her world and her conception of herself. It's the best I can do for her. 
That was really good. That is exactly how I feel. I you share that. Yeah. I have had to go to therapy mm-hmm. to deal with the fact that I may not be lovable just because of this, not because of anything about my character or my personality or anything, just because of the way I look. It's really hard to overcome what the world tells you about yourself. Yes. And even in fantasy, which is where anything could happen, you can go to a magical school, you can Mm -hmm. ride a dragon, you can do anything. It's fiction, and they still don't think that a fat person can be loved. Yep. It's more likely that you can ride a dragon that someone might find me attractive This is not a struggle I have shared, but I have had a lot of people very close to me, you included, that I've watched go through this. And that is very meaningful to me as well, Dade's words, because when you love somebody and you, you know, you see them for who they are and you watch them struggling with this and hating themselves and, you know, you you can tell them over and over again they're beautiful or you love them, but you know it's not sinking in. Yeah. That that's hard. That's hard to watch. And and so, I mean, it, you, you don't have to share this struggle to share this struggle. Yeah. You know? it, it should be meaningful to everyone. Yeah. And so in the same way that even if you are not black, you should read black authors. You mm-hmm. absolutely should. Mm-hmm. If you are not gay, you should still read gay authors. And if you can tolerate a romance novel. And you can. You can. I can. You can. Please, please, please read romance novels with fat characters. If you are only reading books written by people who look like you, like, you're missing out on what reading is supposed to do. And so this book really struck me because I live in a fat body. But if you don't live in a fat body, this book is still for you. And I really, really, really still want you to read it because... That's how you can be inside the world of someone who does live in a body like mine or in a brain like Kyle's or yes. and or even just someone who is uncomfortable in their body. Because, yeah. Like you said, she doesn't grapple with it. Like she's just living. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that is my I think I would like to end on that. Go read a book written by someone who looks nothing like you. And that should be your normal practice. Yeah, please. And I think that for me has been an unintended consequence of even doing this podcast. Like my whole thought process was what's the hook we can use to just talk about books (laughs) that hasn't been done before, but I've now finished the third book you've assigned me. And like, I'm reading things I would have never read. And it's made me think about things I've not thought about. And I'm sure it's done the same for you. And so it's just nice. And we're like two best friends that live down the street we from have a each lot other. in common like, like on paper we're identical but, but we <laughs> haven't talked about some of these things and it's through books and through reading and hopefully we can get some guests on too because we have our own particular genres we like but then there are some that neither of us dabble in yeah so, um yeah it's just really good to broaden your perspe- perspective so books reading, reading. <laughs> <laughs> um do you want to read some one-star reviews? <laughs> I suppose I have to. It's okay. I Okay, so let me tell you. When I was looking through one-star reviews for you to, like, read snippets of, they were long. Like, <laughs> people had stuff to say about this book. <laughs> were they romance fans? Because that, that makes sense to me if they were romance fans and they were like, listen. I think so. Yeah. Um. So, like, there were some common themes, and I've, like, 
I'll let you read this first one from Dolores, and I cut out the middle. Like, okay. it was long. I have just given you the beginning and the ending. Okay. So here you go. This book aggravated me so much that I tossed and turned last night thinking about all the things I needed to say in a review. I was so excited when I saw the cover. A chubby redhead on a romance novel? Finally, I have some representation. What an awful, awful letdown. I should have DNF'd, which means did not finish. I did know that one. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I should have DNF'd this halfway through, but I got to the point where I was hate reading it. (laughs) And then she goes on and on. You know, after writing all of this, I've decided I just plain hate both these characters. They are so unlikable. The more you get to know them, the less you will like them. This book is a Trojan horse. I've already thrown it into a donation pile. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I hope that did not break your heart. That's fine. But I wanted to look at this because when I told you before the podcast that I would looked at some one-star reviews, you asked me, like, oh, is there a lot of fatphobic language? And there actually wasn't. Good. That like I didn't see any, and I didn't read every one. But, and I don't know if Goodreads polices that, but it was mostly, like, just people who actually picked it up because of that. Yeah. And then just didn't like the story. Okay. As she clearly did not. That was one of the major themes. Um, So, that was nice. Yeah. That was was good. (laughs) This one was just funny. (laughs) Um, Read Lily's. Okay. I once read a fanfic that I thought was so good that, with a bit of tweaking to distance itself from its fandom and add some originality for legal purposes, could have been a best-selling novel. I wanted to pay money for that fanfiction. This book reminded me of that fanfiction often only because it's the exact reverse. (laughs) This is a novel... Somehow published that reads like a petulant self-insert sex fantasy. I'm ashamed I paid for this. I'm actually going to see if I could exchange it. Which, again, obviously she didn't like it, but fan fiction. Fan fiction. So that was cool. I I didn't plan that. Okay, so most of the other reviews were along this vein that I have right here from Elisa. And I wanted to ask you about this specifically. So go ahead. Okay. I couldn't get through this book. It was op- it was so obviously about Game of Thrones and Nikolai Coaster-Waldo. And that was a big turnoff. Yes, I understand that fan fiction is is, but I guess my big thing is that it isn't very good. I expect to read this on a teenager's Tumblr, not in a published novel. Okay, so I did not know anything about Game of Thrones. I don't know who that person is. So that, I looked him up, and he, so seeing his name written out, he's got a hyphenated last name, just like Marcus in the book. Uh, Marcus Castor-Rupp, and this is Nicolay Coster-Waldo. Yeah. He plays Jamie Lannister. Oh. He's older, silver yes. like... So a lot of people took issue with this. They were like, you can't write about a real person. Yes, you can. So I don't know. Like, I don't Read have... Love Hypothesis if you really... <laughs> I don't... Those were the big... I think these were all romance fans, and those were the big hang-ups they had. Okay. Well, that is something that um, I loved about it, and you absolutely can write about a real person. And I totally thought, because of the way he was described... I thought his personality was a little bit Kit Harrington, but I thought that the way he was described was this guy who plays. So you have this guy in your head. Yes. Well, that's apparently what she's going for. Okay, Um, I'm fine with that. And a lot of people picked up on it. I didn't really. Yeah. I didn't really have any stakes in that. I was like, I don't care who she's writing about. But I found the conversation interesting. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah. So that's spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, I think it was uh, definitely good to talk about. Yeah. And I don't know that I'd recommend it to anybody, but if you're into this kind of romance novels, and especially if you like fanfic or Game of Thrones, you'd probably enjoy it. 
Yeah, lots of people like this book. Hannah's just not really one of those people, no. and I saw that coming. That's what that, <laughs> Again, but I'm moving up. I've moved from one star to two. I I <laughs> was hoping I would gain at least one star. Yeah. Like you've gone down for me. <laughs> well, <laughs> I need to pick different books. <laughs> what book do you want me to read next time? Okay, so next time uh, I have assigned Stephanie to read Kafka on the Shore by Haruki Murakami. Probably... Not probably, definitely one of my favorite authors of all time. Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussion of the books we love and the books we hate. You can help others find this podcast by leaving us a review and five-star rating. And don't forget to hit subscribe. You can offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. Special thanks to Montague Workshop. See you next week. And Taylor Swift is a genius, and she's carrying the musical industry on her back. And pumpkin spice lattes taste good.